Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I had to go about it, write it out, and find it myself. And there's some stories I can tell you. It's a final word story time, 111. Adam Collins and Jeff Lemon. It's Saturday, the 29th of October. Mm-hmm. That's when we're recording it. Bit of ambiance at the window here in Smith Street, which has been our recording location throughout the course of the week. We just mm-hmm. saw a, uh, an anti lockdown protest a couple of minutes ago. There are about a hundred or so people gathered. Should somebody tell them at some point? Uh, Why did you think you were allowed out of your homes to stage the anti-lockdown <laughs> protest? Yeah, I think it was a bit of a job lot. There was some kind of anti-vax sprinkled in through and probably right. another uh, range of other grievances given it's election season in Victoria. Well, like why that. waste a good protest? You know, exactly. that, always, that always used to stand out to me at uni. You'd, you'd have a protest against the, the Jabaluka mine or, or you know, whatever it was, uh, um, you know, Woomera Detention Centre, yeah. then, but then the, the anti-whaling people would be in there and, you know, the, uh, yeah, the Iranian protesters would be in there. And yeah. the, it was like anybody who had... If you had a placard, if you'd already made one, why waste it? Why not come down? Get involved. Wave it around. Yeah, as is the way in the carrying bush where we've been. Uh, and we leave here tomorrow, day after tomorrow. That's when we go off to yeah. Brisbane, Adelaide. Still mid-World Cup. If you're listening to this in years to come, uh, this will be a slightly shorter show than, than the story time mm-hmm. you've been conditioned to because Jeff and I have been quite busy with our daily programs uh, covering the T20 stuff, which has been fun. And, uh, yes, Brisbane, Adelaide, in semifinals, finals, then one day as then test matches mm-hmm. it's, that, it's that kind of summer wouldn't have it any other way mm. uh, yes it will be relatively endless I think I think we drive back and forth from Melbourne to Adelaide about seven times in November or something so. I think I go to Adelaide on five separate occasions yeah. in the in, in, in a the four or a five month. week yeah, yeah block which is fine I love being over there and and that'll be where we're recording uh, many of our shows over the next fortnight or so Jeff because we aren't blessed with loads of time we probably should Mm -hmm. just crack on and do as we do on the weekend the history show what is it it is it is a history show it is a um, wander through cricket history via the medium of nerd pledge which i'm not going to yell out because uh, winnie is asleep in the other room i was about to reach over and say don't do it don't do it don't do it well at least one of two parents (laughs) will murder me um if not both it might be something that brings you two together i don't know at this stage when you're dealing with a toddler and a, a fairly advanced pregnancy yeah Nerd Pledge is a game that we play with people on the internet. It works as follows. Uh, This show is free. Some very nice people help us fund it voluntarily by sending in contributions that are not normal denominations of their particular currency. They're specific 
amounts that relate to cricket in some way. The number does, and we don't know how. It's our job to figure it out. We're the cricket people. We're the ones with some level of expertise in this nonsense, and we have to try to solve the number. What does it mean? For instance, first cab, Kieran Wilcox, has sent through $3.61. That's in Australian currency. And so 361 is the number. It could be a decimal point anywhere in there. It could be any interpretation of 361. And it's going to mean something. And it's in the AUD, the currency that we're using at the moment. There's a clue for you, Jeff. Okay. Um, Bradman's final word. If you find the clue too hard, I'll be disappointed. Mm. But if you do find the treasure, I suggest the subject is a living creation of Billy Birmingham's imagination. Like his Richie Benno melded with every other character. I looked at this, I did some sniffing about, and I, I just couldn't kind of mm -hmm. get into the... I couldn't get the thread of it. And right. I think... I think you've um, you've had more success. Yeah, well, so I don't I don't know when I'm looking at the very specifics of the clue. I'm not sure because I think there I, I reckon there are some cryptic flags in here. Something about the disappointment and about the treasure. There's got to be something about right. something that links some sort of word game thing, which I haven't picked up. I did I did Google as to whether there was officially a Bradman final word. I did think there might there might have been a there might have been something he uttered to. You know, I guess he, he... I think he died this sleep, actually, didn't he? So that, yeah, that wouldn't have been the case. like a such-is-life kind of deal. Yeah, like precisely. Something. Um, imagine if Ben Cousins had Don Bradman's final words tattooed on him. Yeah, that, that I, I, at some point I'll get to meet, I suppose, Ben Cousins, or, or not, I might. And I, I would have sort of raised with him that he's used the, you know... That, that, those words, of course, Ned Kelly on the gallows, which inspired my great-great-great-uncle to, to write the book, Such Is Life, Joseph Furphy, that was his... His pen name was Tom Collins, and that's why my last name is Collins. And these days, all anyone knows it for is uh, the Ben Cousins tattoo. Mm. How these things evolve. Well, yes, things do change. But very close to here, you can pop down to the old Melbourne jail. Correct. Yep. Where Ned Kelly I have done so. met his untimely end mm. um, and, and uttered those words ostensibly while he was about to be dropped through the small hole in the floor. An inglorious end to a, an interesting career, shall we say. Right. So I, I, t I did take this not as literally as that, not like the last thing he said in his sleep, but I thought, what was the last interview that Don Bradman did? Okay. Was this the Ray Martin interview? We're, we're going to end up there. So, okay. yes, so he lived to 92, died in 2001, just before the India-Australia India <laughs> series. <laughs> threw it away. Threw, <laughs> three short of his first-class average. And... If you look at, and he did very few interviews because we all know you, the the second thing anyone has to say about Don Bradman was, oh, he's a very private man, very private man, yes. You know, Australia's greatest ever cricketer, a very private man. So, lives to 92. There's an interview with a fella called Jack Egan in about 1990 when they're putting a bunch of stuff together for the Bradman Museum in Barrel. Mm -hmm. And so, he has to actually talk to somebody, you know, he's, he's, he's compelled given that this entire um, the operation is being put together to put down some stuff on tape. So he does that interview where I suppose he would be, he would have just turned 80 maybe. I think they're the Bradman tapes, that they're known mm. as the Bradman tapes. The ABC mm. have them and from time to time have played them, mm. um, the Bradman tapes. It would mean something different these days. <laughs> if it was a Craig McDermott tape. But they, they played them out on... Um, I think they, when they had that, they may still have that, mm. that sports digital channel. I think the final word used to appear mm. on that sports digital channel. Oh, yeah. You know, remember yeah, we, yeah, Grandstand we, we digital. used to make it and they'd yeah. play the half an hour blocks. Yeah. Um, we had to stick to half an hour in the very, very early days of the final word. I reckon that channel... We've never done it since. <laughs> <laughs> Even last night we did a daily show with yeah, no games were played in for 27 minutes. Barat and I have been blowing through 30 minutes on the daily. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> Yeah, but they, they, I think as filler, they would use the Bradman tapes. Okay. I happened upon them a couple of times. Right. I think there might be a, like, up to six hours of 
of conversation. Brad Mania. Yeah, going all the way back through his whole cricket life and beyond. So I, okay. I, I suspect these are the same things. Right. So there's that. And then a few years later, there is the Ray Martin one. I can't. Rem- I don't know exactly when it is, but I'm going to guess around 95. No, it was 96, yeah. yeah. And I can't remember what the, the reason they... It was... Um, yeah, because obviously 96 in footy has more relevance being the, the centenary of... Uh, of the VFL, but no, I, I don't know why, but I, I definitely remember mm. it being a, a two-parter. It was kind of 8.30 at night, must-see TV right. and all the rest of it. It must have ran for four hours once it was all complete. So he must have been 86 or 87 at this point, yep. years old. Um, Ray Martin does the honours, of course, as he did in the 90s. Yep. Um, I find it quite funny how Ray Martin's had this late career renaissance as a comedian on the ABC, and or, no, on SBS, SBS you know, doing yeah. like wacky comedy shows. It's quite fun. Yeah. I, li- I like that you know, he was, he was straight away. 180 in the 90s as yeah. well. Of course, he had the, the, the midday program and did Current Affair and was, mm. you know, had all of those different platforms, but you never would have thought of him as a... As having a, a sense kind of humour. Well, also having any real sort of knackers about him in the way yeah. he presented. He was pretty, you know, straight back. He, yep. he was um, he was good for all seasons. He won five gold logies in a row. Mm. In his early years, he was a bit of a renegade on 60 Minutes. And since he got, you know, got jack of doing the presentational work, he's become quite an, ad, uh, quite an advocate, mm. almost... Uh, almost an activist journalist. Hmm. You know, the stuff he talks about now or the stuff he talked about in the last 10 years on social media. Like, he's um, he's got a social conscience and, and doesn't yeah. mind kind of talking about all sorts of things when I doubt anyone would have arrived at that conclusion in the mid-90s when, when these sorts of interviews were what he was known for. Yeah, yeah. Um, he's, he's, he's enjoying a, a post-career flourishing, a bit like baby John Burgess, who's <laughs> discovered his calling as a, as a comedian on Twitter. Is where it Joke of the Week or TGIF, whatever? TGIF, he does TGIF, his Thank yeah. God It's Friday. Yeah, um, yeah so I have... Uh, I don't like notifications on my phone. Um, I have almost everything switched off. The only notification I have on Twitter, I have nothing for DMs, <laughs> nothing for mentions. John Burgess tweeting. That's the only <laughs> thing I have a notification for. <laughs> Just so I can... Because I don't want to miss any of the quality content from the great baby John. Great. Don't <laughs> want to miss a thing. <laughs> so, right. So Ray Martin does the interview. And I watched back the edited highlights, if you will. Not the four-hour job, but the, um, you know, the, the day's play. The, the ICC.com sort of four-and-a-half-minutes yes. job. And what really strikes me about this is the absurdity of the way that Don Bradman talks about his... Career because he's always got this thing about being self-effacing and being modest and all the rest of it, but he takes it to a degree that is, like, for a while comical and then just fucking annoying. Honestly, like you, Ray Martin cannot get anything out of the guy. Like real blood from a stone kind of stuff. So Ray Martin asks him about um, the the historical perspective of the significance of Bradman in the formation of national identity in in yep. the 30s. You know, far left depression, Bradman, all that stuff. Um, and Bradman sort of goes, "Oh well, oh well, 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 it's not for me to make those observations. Oh, that's for, that's for historians to make those observations. You know, just shit cans it." Ray Martin asks him about the buzz at the time, like what it's like living in the era where people are obsessed with him and where, you know, where crowds of thousands are coming down to watch him play and where people are listening to him on the radio and where, and he talks about the body line 100 at the MCG and, mm-hmm. and the, the story that you could hear the crowd on Collins Street from mm. the MCG. And he says, what about living through that? And Bradman goes, oh, well, I, well, I don't know. I was in the middle of the MCG, so, so I don't know anything about that just dead that you know and and then he asks him about in the context of Alan Border who's just retired he says you know so this is why I thought yeah 94-5 is Border's last domestic season yeah he says okay as an example Alan Border's just retired one of the greats you know magnificent player um had more innings than you made a thousand less runs in first class cricket averages 51 you average 95 what doing like how is it that you were so much 
that you were so far ahead of everybody else? And Bradman goes, oh, oh well, I don't know. Oh, you'd have to ask Alan Border that question. I, I can't answer that. And it's like, come on, man. Like, have some curiosity in your, like, where is your, this lack of intellectual curiosity, this complete lack of a willingness to engage in any sort of thinking because he's so obsessed with being self-effacing and saying, oh, well, I was just an ordinary guy going out and playing cricket. You clearly were not just an ordinary guy going yeah. out there and playing cricket. I found, like, it was enraging almost. Like, why are you refusing to, why are you so uninterested? If you are a person who's had that career and lived that life, like, I'm sure Usain Bolt thinks about how he was able to run faster than everybody else. Like, why are you are you actually not interested? Are you pretending to be not interested? Either way, it sucks. Oh, I think it's the latter. So Bradman, you know, was obviously a prolific writer as well. Right? Yeah. So it's not as though he didn't get a chance to document what he thought, sure. and he remembered all of it. Um, there's this there's that great story where, and I'm going to get some of the details wrong. I'm sorry about this in advance. 1948, I think, uh, where he's playing at the Oval and. Uh, He's confused about a test match and where he was fielding, and he and he signposts this bet that he had with, with with the teammate. Can't remember who it was about where they were playing in the context of where the gasometer was. And mm. forty years later, it was proven incorrect that it wasn't at the Oval because the gasometer wasn't in the photograph or something. And mm-hmm. yeah, so even that level of detail, and he and he um, acknowledged that he'd lost this bet decades later. So right. he knew the detail. He knew how important he was. Yeah. I think it is what you're describing there. There was a reluctance for him to lean into it. He wanted other people to do it for him. And we deal with athletes or cricketers like that too, right? Some who are willing to acknowledge yeah. where they have these gifts which they've honed and thus they can be the best in the world and they give you quite a lot and they can explain it. And they, I mean, Glenn Maxwell's good at that, right? He yeah. knows that he's capable of doing things that most people can't do on the cricket field. And sure. He's not indulging himself by going into it he just likes talking about it he finds it interesting right whereas other cricketers someone like uh well when steve smith was going through that great run you could barely sure. get a word out of him oh, about no. himself it was always about oh but, well but the I, team the team the team i i get that during the career but it's know? after the career right the when s- you're decades 86 later. years old come on but maybe he's always Have done a little it. fiddle outside off stuff, well my point know? is maybe he's so conditioned to doing it that yeah. way what i remember from the ray martin interview and again this is like the memory of a 12 year old so i stand to be corrected if i haven't got this down pat but I think at one stage Martin asks him this bizarre question about whether Bradman had ever considered hitting his stumps out of the ground in frustration because like maybe that was a thing I don't think it was a thing but maybe it was and Bradman answered a question about that from from Martin about whether he ever felt the urge to smash his stumps out of the ground kind of how Chris Broad did yeah um, like did you ever I guess like did you ever lose it because you were always so buttoned down and in control I think that's what he was what he was steering towards but Anyway, we, we've gone off track here. What but are we that, talking about again? So Kieran Wilcox, three six one. Yeah, but this this is this is my point though. Is that when Kieran says uh, a living creation of Billy Birmingham's imagination, like his Richie Benno melded with every other character, that is what watching that interview feels like. It oh, feels see, like I a parody see. because I mean, well, he's got the Bradman voice, which is kind of a, a little bit comical to begin with, but then just the way that he's completely unwilling to indulge in any sort of. Uh, any exercise of imagination, any willingness to actually engage with an idea and just shuts down every foray from an interviewer. Like, why go on TV and do an interview if you're just going to shut everything mm, down? Mm. It was comical. It was parodic. And that is his last interview. And that is Bradman's final word, as per the clue. Where 361 right. comes into it, I have no idea. But that was as far as I got, Kieran. Okay. So if, uh, if you want to give me a steer, uh, send me a message or get on the chat page on the Discord and leave me a note there. Absolutely. I think a few of our Discord friends are going to join us at the pub later tonight when we're watching the uh, New Zealand Sri Lanka. 
mm-hmm. game and we'll record mm-hmm. um, from there at the commercial club. So, yes, Discord is the place to go to let us know what's going on uh, or the patron DMs. Thank you, Kieran. We'll be back to that. Not next week. We're not doing revisit shows at the moment because no. they take a whole other layer of research and sure. in the middle of a World Cup that's not going to happen but hopefully uh, between the World Cup and the Test matches starting when we're on the road doing the, the one day as there might be a window to do a revisit special uh, second today sexy Ryan Thomas here Jeff. he comes um, I, I, I think I mentioned this on the show before but you met him didn't you yeah just just the call back after the Shane Warne Memorial oh, right, and I was yeah. with my dad and, I, and we walked outside the MCG and a guy goes hey Jeff and comes up and he goes hi I'm sexy Ryan Thomas <laughs> and he's with one of his friends and I'm with my dad who both look at each other very confused whereas Ryan Thomas and I understand what's going on he's it's a variant of sexy Ryan Harris mm. of course but um, yeah 647 is his number okay. $6.47 and he says 647 should be read with a zero in there somewhere yeah I picked to put the zero between the four and the seven which makes 6407 that's the number of runs that Alex Stewart made in the 1990s oh, test runs in that's the 90s good. which is the the most runs in that decade wow. and you kind of go through it I feel a bit sorry for Alex Stewart sometimes when thinking about his career and his, the numerical side of his career because, mm-hmm. I mean, we know there's that great, uh, that great stat, fact, piece of trivia, freakish occurrence where he made 8,463 runs all up and his birthday is the 8th of April 1963, which mm-hmm. I think that might be, along with the Bannerman, the best cricket yeah. factoid. Lucky that he wasn't American, otherwise that would have been all screwed up. But, you know, uh, looking through the 90s, his career lines up almost perfectly with Mark War and Mark Taylor in terms of tests, runs and innings. Mm-hmm. So, but I, I think that Alex Stewart probably gets seen as a lesser player than Mark War and Mark Taylor. But the diggier deep, you consider how many of those test matches were with the wicket keeping. The diggier deep. <laughs> <laughs> Going well. Okay. The diggier deep. I like it. <laughs> it's quite, quite, I suppose it's going to have to stay in there now. We've yeah. gone on too long. Yeah. The deeper you dig... The, the more you realise that those numbers are deceptive. So it, it's not particularly flattering when that mm. fact gets rolled out that he's the only player with 8,000 test runs all up to not have an average of 40 or above. He mm. finished with 39.54 to be precise. Close enough. But, you know, Mozzie Macram said that Alex Stewart was the toughest opener in the 90s to bowl at. And Mozzie Macram was the best bowler in the 90s for mm. a stop. So, you know, it gives you some sense there. Mm-hmm. And you want to dig even deeper again. He averaged 47 when not wicket-keeping. Mm. You know, when he did keep, he averaged 35. But in 82 of his 133 test matches, he had the gloves. Only in 51 of them, uh, he was a specialist batter, most of those as an opener. Right. You go back to World War II, only Hutton, Boycott, Amos and Cook have better numbers than, than Alex Stewart as an opener. Right. So, yeah, again, this is, this is a career that's a little bit misunderstood on numbers alone. But if you want to view it purely through the 90s, 6,407 runs in 93 test matches at an average of 41, 12 centuries and 34 other scores above 50. And, yeah, so more generally on Alex Stewart, I mentioned 133 test matches, 170 one-day internationals. That's the fourth most test for England behind Cook, Anderson and Broad. So when he finished up, he was the, the clubhouse leader, but those three men have subsequently overtaken him. And he starts right at the beginning of that decade as well, that, that tour of 89-90 that we spoke about at great length with Nasser Hussain when he came on the podcast a, a couple of years ago. It was a, it was a turning point series mm. in, in a number of ways, not least the way the broadcast was done on cable television back to the UK, which we, we dealt with on, on calling the shots. But yeah, he and Nasser Hussain both making their test debuts together, both such huge figures in English cricket through the 90s and beyond. And yeah, that, that's where 
initially at least Stuart's seen as a specialist bat because Jack Russell's there. Mm. Then they go on this dance for nine years where sometimes they want the balance of the side to have Stuart keeping to give them the extra batter. Yep. Sometimes they, went, they want Russell, who's seen as the better gloveman. Mm. Reasonable to conclude that he was the better gloveman. Stuart very good, but Russell a freak. That's when Stuart would get the chance to open. And they never properly settled on this. No. Yeah, it's not as though there's any, like, continued stretch where it would be one or the other. They, It's like each selection panel or each captain or each series prompted a different set of thinking and they never quite worked out what worked best. But from from Stuart's perspective, selfishly, right. I suppose, he, he could have done with being a specialist bat more often because and if he if he was, he would have made 10,000-plus test runs. And he was a dasher. Like he, was, he was. He was a fast scorer, in the, like a much faster scorer than the era. You know, mm. he, he was setting that trend i mean he's 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 not gilchrist but he's a little bit ahead of gilchrist like he didn't go as hard as gilchrist but he was doing something in that mold of being an opener and being aggressive at, at the bowling absolutely and he, and he had the ability to reach really high peaks so there's the the four tons in five test matches in 1992 against pakistan which includes 190 at edgbaston which was his test highest score another little unflattering fact is that he's got the most number of test runs without getting a double okay uh, of all time close enough also there's the twin tons that he makes at bridgetown in must have been 94 the first time the windies right. have been beaten there for like 30 years or something like that so um, when given the chance a personal uh, memory of Alex Stewart was watching him play at the MCG in 1998 when McGrath was all over England at the start on what, what was morning one it was morning two but they lost the first day due to rain they were like two for two Atherton was out in the first over I think Butch might have been as well and in walks Stewart, well, he was opening, but down the other end, Stewart, who plays a, the most glorious hand for about three hours, making 104, I think it was. Uh, and for a long time, I would say that's the best innings I've seen in the flesh. Mm. It was a brilliant hand. Anyway, so Stewart goes on to become captain unexpectedly at age 35 in 1998. Because he's so yep. fit, um, he's able to keep playing and keep doing well. He doesn't last long as captain. He's sacked after the 99 World Cup at home when England don't progress to the Super Sixes. He plays into his 40s. Um, he plays his 100th test with Mike Atherton. Um, he makes 105 in that. He's the fourth man to record a century in his 100th test match. That was against the West Indies in, in 2000. He's still knocking about in the 2003 World Cup, Jeff, which means that his career overlaps with Jimmy Anderson, who's still going. And Alex Stewart's professional career started in 1981. So mm. there's a player who Anderson crosses over with who was playing at the very start of the 80s. Yeah. It'll be interesting to see who, who picks up the mantle from Anderson's career, who's like 18 now, and whether they're playing in sort of yeah, 25 yeah. years from now or, or something like that. He's had a very busy post-career as well. He was a player agent, manager. He's been a commentator on television and radio, of course, with Test Match Special. Yep. And for the last... 11 years, he's been the director of cricket back at Surrey and the gaffer um, was yeah. elated when Surrey won the championship this year. And of course, he's always been good to you and me, both as colleagues on, on radio or around the place at the Oval. He's a, a great man, Alex Stewart. And he made 6,407 runs in the 90s. And mm. I suspect that's where sexy Ryan Thomas wanted us to go. I hope so. I sure hope because it's a great answer. It's a great interpretation of the number. And he's still, he's still frightening, Alex Stewart. I'm not intimidated by most <laughs> former cricketers, but I am intimidated by him just because he, he's got that sort of sergeant major posture and yeah. he's so fit and he's yes remember there's a there's a line i can't remember whose poem it's from but it says it's something like i could kill you with a blade of grass a butterfly's wing a child's tear that's how i think of alex stewart like he could kill you with a child's tear he's he's that intense he's that yeah. fit he's 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 murderous um and so yeah just stay on his good side that's all i have to say Hi, my name's Kate Cross, and you're listening to The Final Word with Adam and Jeff. 
Okay, next up is Sam Litster, uh, 368. We've got a clue from Sam coming to you, Jeff. New pledge is in tribute to a stalwart of my peak cricket summer, 1999-2000, which was the summer holidays between grade 10 and grade 11, where my mates and I attended just about every match played at the Gabba or AB Field. My pledge number, though, isn't particularly specific to that summer or to my other great memory of this player, the first video I ever downloaded from the internet. Now, um, it, I, I like if that. If it's a Queenslander and you download a video from the internet, Craig McDermott can come <laughs> to mind, but, um, uh, but no. Yeah, well, he, this means that Sam is, well, one year older than me, because I remember that summer very fondly as well, going to watch every game at the MCG yep. and it was in my year 9 to year 10 holiday so there's a, a likeness here Jeff and, and you're going to take it away yes so we're looking for a Queenslander you, you may remember Sam's previous number quite a while back was to do with his great uncle or great great uncle who played in a tour game he did against yes against the West Indies the West Indies yeah, in, in 1932 19, or something yeah I think it was uh, early 30s that's yep. right yeah who, uh, who, who played in a Queensland country 11 or yep. thereabouts and got called up to open and who, who Bradman rated, apparently. So, yeah, Queenslander, 368. So not, not Matty Elliott's cap number, although he's of that era. That's yeah, had a great 99-2000, made over 1,000 runs. Yeah. So this is Sam's peak summer because Queensland go through to the final that year and have a winning draw yep. because they finish top. Um, oh, yes, that final. At Allen Border Field. Oh. Uh, was it that one? There's was it the 900 two. one? Yeah, no, 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 no. The two I get shitty about are no, about 99-2000 yeah. and 2000-2001. They're the ones that scar me. Okay. You can, you, can, yep. you can go through and tell the story. Okay, sure. So, um, well, well, I'm not going to tell a story of that final, but I was looking okay. for who was a stalwart in that team. So, who played for Queensland that year? Uh, Sam, did I make a spreadsheet with every Queensland player that year and see how many Shield games they played? Yes, I did. <laughs> uh, and I can tell you, there are five players who were in every Shield game. Uh, that's Jimmy Ma, Stuart Law, Wade Seckham, Jeff Foley mm -hmm. and Andy Bickle. So, Jeff Foley is not someone I actually knew much about. I doubt there's a lot of video highlights of Jeff Foley going around. Um, I enjoyed the fact in his biography that his nickname was Axel, as in Axel Foley of Beverly Hills Cop. Great. Axel F being the theme song. We've got the ding, 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 yes, ding, ding. Right. Imagine like your teammates singing that to you as you come out to bowl as a, an <laughs> off-spinning all-rounder in the Sheffield Shield. <laughs> like the complete opposite to Eddie Murphy's level of cool in, yeah. in Beverly Hills Cop, no doubt. So, um, but he was also a test case for Ross Emerson to have a flex on chucking because oh. Ross Emerson started no-balling Jeff Foley when he was bowling his Breaks. Probably buying leggies. Um, <laughs> of course, Ross Emerson no-balled yes. Morley when buying well, leggies. This is like a year before he no-balls Morley. He uh, starts no-balling Jeff Foley first. That's like his warm-up in the shield to get the no-balling happening. Right, but video downloadable off the internet of Jeff Foley, probs not. Um, Andy Bickle and Jimmy Ma both played a lot for Australia after this, but not so much beforehand, so I don't think it was going to be to do with them. There was Stewie Law in the World Cup in 96, of course, the uh, very important partnership with Michael Bevan in the West Indies game when Australia come back and, and have that win. So I, I did look through the careers of all of these people and, and the numbers were not there for any of the five who played every game. So I started looking at the players who played most of the games mm -hmm. and there's somebody who missed three Shield games for Queensland that year because he was on international duty but still featured very heavily in that Shield run and played against the touring Indian and Pakistani sides. So took 44 wickets at 
bugger all that year, that season, um, and average mid-20s with the bat, so higher batting average than bowling average, etc., etc. And the three Shield games that Adam Dale missed that season happened because he was playing one-day international cricket for Australia. So uh, he plays a couple of games in Zimbabwe in October of that season when they go over there for yep. a, a very rare visit. And he plays one more game in Brisbane for Australia at don't think he knew it was a farewell game, but played his last game on his on his home ground at least. And, and Adam Dale, if you're not familiar with him, was a swing bowler, very compact action, quite nippy, reasonable pace, moved the ball through the air a lot, hard to play, and could bat a bit. So he was a good package for one-day cricket. Yeah, what made him so dangerous in that era was that it, it's just the very tail end of when a bowler might bowl 10 off the real the top of a one-day mm-hmm. international. He would often bowl his 10 straight because yep. he could move the white ball. He wasn't quick enough to bother batters too much, but he was ever so consistent, moved the ball both ways, hit the seam consistently. You could have the keeper up to the stumps as well. I think Gilchrist used to keep up to him a little bit when playing for Australia. Yeah, yeah, so I remember that. There, there, were, there were, you know, he was, you would never do it now. You would never pick a bowler to bowl overs, you know, uh, two oh, through 20. One, yeah, zero to 19. <laughs> that, 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 that wouldn't happen now, but but it did for a really long time. Like the mm. first 25, 30 years of one day cricket, that was a feature. Yep. You could get rid of the 10 overs of your opener mm-hmm. uh, and then worry about managing your overs with other bowlers who are better suited to bowling at the death. And all of that is borne out, Adam, in his career numbers. 30 matches all up, 32 wickets, but a one-day international economy rate of Ah. 3.68 runs per over. Our number, of course, is 3.68. Lovely. So what he was able to do off the top really suppressed the scoring uh, and Mm. put Australia in a good position in the field by the time he finished with his work by, say, the 20th over. And the video that Sam downloaded off the internet, I'm willing to bet, is the catch <laughs> the that we catch. spoke about a few months ago. One of the great outfield catches in a domestic 50-over game when he comes flying across midair off Phil Emery, I think, the left-hander from yep. New South Wales, who clubs it down towards long on, and Adam Dale, you know, enter stage left, just comes zooming across into the frame midair, and Bill Laurie goes absolutely ballistic. Oh, what a catch! Oh. I, I think that's the catch that Rob Linder says is the best he's ever yeah. he's ever seen, yep. and and he's the sort of person you could trust with making a. A statement like that. Mm. Put it this way, it's better than the other catch they replay endlessly from the Gabba. Fatty's catch. Fatty's catch. I'll take Adam Dale's. <laughs> so that uh, is the 368 for you, Sam Litster. I'm very confident. Thank you for the number. And uh, let's put a tick in that column. Well, let's do it again sometime soon, Sam. Send your re-up in the usual way. Uh, thank you for being a great supporter of what we've done for many years. Next up, Rahul Venkat, 252 USD. Jeff. Clue here from Rahul who says, My new number is about a player whose career once held incredible promise. If he had been managed well, I have no doubt he would have joined the illustrious list of predecessors that his region was famous for. He has a special affinity with one of the tournaments whose place and existence is a source of <laughs> constant debate. I just thought Champions Trophy as soon as I read that. I yeah, I did too. Then I sort of realised that um, there's a bowler who... There's a cricketer who ticks all of these boxes and uh-huh. has a... Very strong T20 World Cup okay. And that too uh, brings debate about its position, yes. when it should be, how often it's played, that kind of thing. When so they play three and four years, as for they're example. doing at the moment, it does, yes. So I think I've got this right. Let's see how we go. A career with great promise. I suspect it's an Indian cricketer, because we've had Indian cricketers from Rahul Venkat before, I'm fairly certain. I believe so, Jeff, yep. Yes. So I'm going to look at a bowler who could have been anything, and briefly was, R.P. Singh. Oh, yes. Um, it the also wacker. happens to be someone who had... One big historic tournament performance. Right. Illustrious region. He's from Uttar Pradesh, which is where Lala Amanath is from, Bhuvi, uh, the Nayadus, uh, Suresh Raina, Rohit Sharma, tick. 
Cool. Enough. Yep. Enough to, to justify that part of the clue. As soon as the Naidu brothers and Armanaths are from there, that's good enough. Yeah. So he gets on the scene via the Under-19s World Cup in 2004, and he's in the one-day team a year later. So he's a prodigy of sorts. Mm-hmm. 2005, he makes his international debut. Yep. Young gun. Player of the match in his third one day against Sri Lanka, taking a forfer. So far, so good. Takes another forfer in his first game against Pakistan to mm-hmm. win a series a year later. They right. bloody love him. He's a big deal. Sure enough, he's a test player soon after that. And he's player of the match on his test debut. Again against Pakistan, on a road at Faisalabad. Takes four wickets uh, in the first innings, which I suppose they were, they were prioritising performances with the ball over the bat, given mm. it was an absolute road. So... This guy's a, a bloody star. And he's Although like that's 21. unusual for people who pick these things. Usually they just go whoever's made the most runs sure, on a road. Sure. So I'm glad to see the bowler's got a look at Yeah, yeah. So, you know, and this guy's like 21. Then he's 22 and he goes to England in 2007. And right. his first test match in England is at Lords. And he takes mm. seven wickets, including mm. a Fifer in the second dig. It's on the honours board. First test match in England. Again, all of this has happened by the age of 22. Later that year, the inaugural T20 World Cup, which is the tournament where we know the entire world changes. Yes. Uh, we spoke a few weeks ago. In fact, when you were away, Daniel and I spoke about Sri Santh, uh, and the key role that he played in that tournament, kind of the life-changing spell that he, yeah. that he enjoyed against Australia. I think that was in the semi-final, if I recall mm. correctly. That's right, and that was another story about a player of promise who ended up self-combusting in his case. So he got involved in spot-fixing and... Um, crazy things with teammates and all the rest of it. Ended up, uh, ended up on Celebrity Big Brother, yeah. um, Big Boss in India. Big Boss, that's right. He won it, didn't he? Which he is not what won. happened to RPC. He didn't do any no. matchfixing, and uh, he didn't end up on Big Boss, as far as I know. Well, what he did do, he took twelve wickets at twelve in that T Twenty World Cup. Wow! The second leading wicket taker across the seven matches that included four for thirteen against the hosts, South Africa, to eliminate them from the tournament. Four for thirteen in the T Twenty. And again, I reiterate, he's twenty two. Yeah, this guy is like got the world at his feet. Sure. Player of the match on his test debut. First test in England takes a Pfeiffer. Mm-hmm. He's taken. He's played a match-winning hand in a series win against Pakistan mm-hmm. in his first performance against them. Mm-hmm. Another forfer against Sri Lanka in his third one day. Everything's going right for him, and then he fades away. When's the when is the there's the Wacker test as well against Australia in two thousand in the eight yeah seven eight, eight seven oh eight that's right. That, well, they is, go to Perth after they lose in Sydney. They correct. go to Perth and tail up Australia, and, yeah. and it's RP Singh doing the damage there. Absolutely. Well. So he's part of that, but it's not long before. Like certainly in white ball cricket, he just kind of disappears. Mm. He barely plays at all after that series you refer to, 0708 in Australia, until 2011. That's largely due to injury. Uh, but then he comes back and plays a test match in England, where he did well the previous time. And he bowls the first over of that test. Four of the balls are down the leg side. He's bowling at 120 clicks. And Ian Botham on commentary describes it as the worst first over ever bowled in a test match. Sonny Gavaska gets the boots in. I guess in Steve Harmison's hadn't as happened well. yet. Well, that was one ball. I mean, I think the pace combined with the, the radar being completely off, and yeah. I suppose it had been a long time for him, three years in the in the international wilderness. There were suggestions being made that he was only getting picked at all because he was mates with MS Dhoni. And that's it for him as an international cricketer. He, I mean, mm. he still floats around. He does well in the IPL a couple of times, mm-hmm. retires in 2018. But, yeah, the definition of a shooting star, and I'm pretty sure that's who Rahul Venkat will be talking about. Yep. Oh, and why 252? That was his test cap for RP Singh. Solid. That is a, that's an ironclad answer, I reckon. But, yeah, the thing about the management, so if he's, if, if he's injury recovery and so on, yeah. presumably that wasn't done too well if it took them three years to get him back on the park. And you, know, you know, some cricketers who have played for India, you can find enormous amounts of biographical information yeah. if you want to. You could write a book about it, you know. Yep. Or you could at least 
plagiarise a lot of articles and turn it into a book. But like in in this instance, there's barely anything there on RP Singh. It's okay. like I, I was kind of looking for a Brat Summaration. Mm. 20,000 word Deep dive, up, yeah, you know? yeah. Maybe there should be. There's probably a book in the works. Barrett's probably got a book coming out in three months about our PC. It's prolific at the moment. Anyway, that's... Um that's my answer okay. uh, for uh, Rahul Venkat 252 RP Singh. All right. Uh, our last new number, second last new number, Sarah Berman, friend of the show. $5 AUD. Uh, she just says free swing, though there is a story behind it eventually. Okay. Well, we like okay. this. We like to... Um I'd like to have a, an open field to begin with. Love so, you, Sarah. So I thought, okay. Sorry we couldn't catch up last week, Sarah. She organised the final nerds meet up in Sydney and uh, yes. I, I, was, I just couldn't make it. I was otherwise accounted for with stuff that was arranged for me and yeah. I was pretty crook as you well, so probably for the best. pouring yeah. out of every orifice in your body. Um, and we're too sick to record the show for a couple of days. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah all, all of that. But um, Sydney Test and, and uh, well, of course... The final word one match will be happening on the 26th of January. A- and, well. we'll, and we'll be in Sydney for the one day over mm. a weekend. So there'll be a, there'll be a yeah. way of doing that. So $5 flat. I thought, all right, if we interpret this as 500, was, was test number 500 any good? Almost. It was, it's in the famous 1960-61 West Indies. Oh, Australia we did season. this last week. We mm. touched on test 500. It was at the Melbourne Cricket Ground and it was yep. the debut of... Uh, who was it? The Jeremy debut Martin. of... Just, we talked about there this on go. the weekly show. We this did. is great. So, you know, but it was the walkover. It was the shit test in the series yeah. when the pitch gets really wet just as the West Indies have started batting and so they end up getting... Uh, skittled very easily. They get pumped in three days. Uh-huh. It's the test where Joe Solomon's cap falls under the stumps and knocks a bail off and he's out hit wicket. Um, one of the unusual instances of that sort of thing. And yes, Johnny Martin's debut where he, he makes a 50-run contribution to a big partnership with Slasher Mackay that's very important down the order. Um, so And then takes three wickets in four balls on a yeah. hat trick, uh, completes a pair for Worrell, gets Sobers out first mm-hmm. ball as well, I think it is. What a great way to start. So I thought, not that. I thought, what's 500? What does 500 mean in cricket? The, the biggest 500 thing I can think of was 500 test wickets because I remember, yeah. like, at one point that was, that was the mirage. Sure. That was, like, the unattainable. I remember um, a headline when Shane Warne beat Lily's record. It was 355. The headline was something like 355. Now Warren seeks 500, mm-hmm. you know, and that was like crazy talk, 500. You wouldn't necessarily have known that a few years from then, Murley would reach 800 test wickets with, you know, one of the ballsiest moves in cricket history where he, he's on 792 and he says, I'm going to retire after this test match. And you would and never think that eight wickets. 15 years on from that, that Nathan Lyon would take his 900th test wicket <laughs> after James Anderson also passed Matai Murley. <laughs> so... Thousand for Lyon. Yes. So, so look, you've got um, seven players in the 500 club now with Courtney Walsh, Glenn McGrath, Arnel Kumble and the Broad and Anderson combo. The speed part is instructive. Murali gets 587 tests. Everyone else is over 100. So Kumble 105 and Warren 108 are the next best. Broad at 140 is the slowest. And given we were talking about Nathan Lyon and how far he might go, currently 110 matches and 438 test wickets. So at his current rate, he'd need another 16 test matches to get to 500. Which so four tests for Lyon, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And then it'd be a fairly long road from there to, to get to the 900 that, we, that we're tipping he's going to get to <laughs> by the time he's 43 or 44 and retires. 
So that was 500 wickets. I then wondered if anyone had made exactly 500 runs in a series because that would be neat. Uh, yes, Sunil Gavaskar did it when England came to visit in 81-82 in one of the most horrible test series of all time. I- India win the first test and then five draws, five draws in a yeah. six-test series. <laughs> Horrendous. And the other one, and this is what tickled me the most when I was looking for potential answers for this question. Brian Lara in 2004 against England made 500 runs in the series. What else happened in that tour? That's 400. He makes 400 not out in one innings. He has seven hits in the series and makes 500 even for the series. So he's got an average of 83 despite making 400 not in one innings. Where that fourth hundred was the slowest of the four he made in that innings. He really wanted to break that record uh-huh. that Hayden took from him. Yeah, yeah, he wanted that Matthew Hayden record back. So he started that series with 23 and naught in Kingston and they get flogged by 10 wickets. That's the, the Harmison 7 for 11, I reckon. Believe so. Yeah. He makes naught and eight in Port of Spain where they get flogged again, I think, by eight wickets. He makes 36 and 33 in Bridgetown, 69 for the match. Nice. nice. They get flogged again with about seven wickets. And so after an absolute dog shit series, he then goes to St. John's, the flattest track in the world, um, well, you know, in, in harness with the Sinhalese Sports Club perhaps, mm. and makes 400 not out to seal maybe the most overrated series performance of all time. Because when people look back and go, oh, Brian Lara, 400 not out, yeah. Yeah, he made it in the fourth test after they'd been absolutely smashed in the previous three and he hadn't made a run. And then he rocks up and makes 400 in a draw in a match they don't even bother trying to win because it's all about him getting the record after a 3-0 loss. 500 runs even in seven innings after you've got 400 not out in one. Ouch. Still got more ca- more character in the little toe of that ground than it does in the entire Viv Richards Stadium down the road. Mm. That, that's a, a real contrast when, you, when you're at the recreation ground at St John's. I mean, it'll never be brought back now, but... I'd love to see a government one day go, you know what, this is the proper cricket ground in Antigua and, and yeah. try and restore it to its former glory. Sure, but put a new pitch in, will you? Put a new pitch in. I don't think the pitch is, at the moment, It's last time I was there a couple of years ago, there was two soccer pitches on there, so yeah. they'd probably have to relay the square regardless. Happy days. The only other 500 thing I'd throw in about 500 wickets is I was really lucky that uh, the day that I scout my way into Lords day one 2005 which I've written about for the Guardian during the, the lockdown period a couple of years ago is my favourite day of test cricket as a punter well no need to caveat it it's my favourite day at test cricket full stop um, the first ball after tea um, McGrath finds the edge Justin Langer second slip Triscothic gone and I had my camera on it oh, my tiny little you know Digital you're camera. 2005, you're, yeah. you're like, you know, 0.4 me- of a megapixel. Exactly. You know. Yeah, one of the sort of thousand photos I took that day was yeah. as the ball was edged and taken at second slip. So I always remember that fondly. I didn't I didn't see it like kind of out in the open. I saw it through, through, my, the lens. through my lens and that was yeah. good enough for me. Well, that's uh, that's my start for 500. Nice. For Sarah Berman as uh, another 86 tram goes wandering by. If you're wondering what the sound in the background is. Uh, Chris Unwin, our last new number. £12.33. Thank you, Chris. Very nice pledge. And uh, it's an open field, Adam. Do with it what you will. Yeah, okay. So with this, as the longer we've been doing the show, the, the, the varied ways we've tried to answer the questions. When you see a number like this, I'm thinking, well, how can I interpret 12.33? Sort of going to the thinking, ordinarily, we think, well, maybe that's match figures. But there are other ways of doing it. And one of those would be, well, actually, that could be time on a clock, 12.33. Yeah. And that's Usually what I really that, wanted that would to do be during the yeah it'd be during the first, during the first session, session wouldn't that just yeah. getting up to lunch yeah. given if, if you assume the ten, exactly right 
but I have no clue how to do that. Or it, any- could be, it could be the last over if it was, say, a 10.30 start. Absolutely. And they just started an over at, say, you know, 12.29 yep. and, a, and a quick bowler was bowling. It might be like last ball before lunch. Could, Got could him be. last ball of the day. Can you believe that? It sort could be, or it could be with the extra half an hour being taken yeah. or something like that. Yeah, can anyone help me work out is there a way of going back and finding out what time things happened? I mean, you can Google it. I did a bit of this, but nothing really jumped out. For a moment, I thought, was that when Scott Boland took his last wicket at the MCG last year? Although then I remembered that Chris Unwin is very unlikely to be celebrating Scott Boland um, taking six for no. seven or whatever it was as England lost the ashes and were all out for, what were they all out for, 60 or 80 or something horrible? 67, maybe, possibly? Do you remember? 67 was Headingley 2019. Uh, and uh, what were Australia all out for? 60 at Trent Bridge. Yep. It was around there. It was fuck mm. all. Anyway, there was no way I could work it out, so I moved on. But I do want to find out. If anyone knows how to, how to, um, how to sort of reverse engineer that, um, be it with Crick Info's ball by ball or something like that, let me know. Then I thought, all right, what about test numbers? This feels like it's right in the hitting zone. Mm-hmm. We know there have been about 2,500 test matches. We know roughly half of them have been in the last 30 years, and bingo. Good one. 1993 was when the 1233rd Test match was played at the Singhalese Sports Club, you referred to before, in Colombo. The second test between Sri Lanka and South Africa. Mm-hmm. South Africa's first tour of Sri Lanka since readmission back in 1991. And what I found interesting going through the series is the first test was played at a ground I'd never heard of, Muratua. It was a draw. Your mate Clive Eckstein made his debut in that test match. What about the ground itself? It hosted test matches in 1992 and 1993, never to be seen again. And I I reckon this is probably because it's eight miles south of Colombo. And as we know, there are already three test grounds in Colombo. You don't need a fourth. Mm. Um, But there was a time. Anyway, um, staying in that city, back to the SSC. That's where the second test was being played. Series level at nil all because of the draw and there's only three to be played. So a lot riding on this one. But... Uh, Sri Lanka stick the joint out on day one, all out for 168, with Brett Schultz taking five for 48 with his left arm rockets. We've talked about Brett Schultz extensively on Storytime mm-hmm. before. Another shooting start, very similar to RP Singh as far as having this extraordinary start to his career and, and fading away. And the Bear, as they called him, played nine test matches mm-hmm. and took 37 wickets at 20. Um, this was his maiden tour where he dominated Sri Lanka. The problem was he had he had shaggers back and, and that was that. It wasn't through a lack of form. It was yeah. just injury, ended his career in his mid-20s. Such a 1990s name as well, Brett. It was the Bretts and the Brads. They were Brads and Bretts and yeah. Jareds. Yeah. They were just thick on the ground at Bretty. the time. You think of a lot of Bretties in, uh, in that era, can't you? Uh, South Africa replied with 495 in two long days at the crease. Cronier... Uh, the captain, well, he wouldn't have been the captain. He would have been the vice captain to Kepler Vessels. He made 122. The skipper made uh, 92, Kepler, uh, another story time man that we've had on and talked about quite a bit. Morally, you referred to before, he took five for 101 from 54 overs. Classic very, very morally figures. figures. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Bowling all day, taking a five for going for sod all. Bowled half the overs um, and, yeah, comparatively speaking, didn't go for that many on a, an absolute batting paradise. Kumar Dharmasena made his test debut there as well. Everyone's... Favourite umpire? Probably not. Uh, none for 91 from 45. Hard graft in the heat, I suppose. I like Damasena as an umpire. He's just got a bit of... He's got a little bit of pizzazz. You know, oh, it keeps I, you guessing. I've never minded him, but I think he's gathered a lot of enemies. I think just about every... Like, there will be people who will slag off every umpire True. and say that they're the worst. They're like, oh, you know, 
oh, I was like, Ralph, terrible. Oh, you know, I mean, there's always like a new umpire comes in and maybe people like him for a little bit. Like people like Murray Erasmus. Murray Erasmus. For, for a little yeah. while, people like Nitin Menon at the yeah. moment. But like now Erasmus is starting to get people getting stuck into him. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it's like a matter of time before you make a decision that some people don't like. And then everybody's going to put the boot into you. So Hansi and Kepler pushed South Africa to a huge first innings lead. Then they bowl out Sri Lanka in 43 overs the second time mm. for just 119. Brett Schultz again uh, with four for 58. And how about down the other end? Alan Donald at 10 overs, seven maidens, two for six. So you can see why Sri Lanka kind of stood no chance against those two super quick seamers from mm-hmm. South Africa. Uh, they win by an innings and 208 inside three days and take the series 1-0 after a further draw in the third test match. So that was test match 1-2-3-3 for Chris Unwin. Let me know how I've gone, but I also would like to do another answer about 12.33pm. Mm. I've just got a feeling there'll be something brilliant there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right. Very good. Uh, that's the end of our new numbers. It if you is. want to play Nerd Pledge... Go to patreon.com slash the final word. And then you just sign up. You put in the amount you want to send us. You uh, put in how often or not often or whatever it is. It's all in your hands. And then you can help us keep making the show. And you can jump on the final word chat page, which is a very nice place to go and hang out with other nerdy cricket people. It, it's There are many good reasons to do it. Uh, so if you want to help us out, feel free. Yeah, especially at the moment with us doing so much travel, it, it just reiterates how important this is for... For us, I mean, if not for um, the support we've received through uh, Patreon over the last few years, but especially since the pandemic and it becomes more obvious and more important the deeper we get into yep. our cricket writing, broadcasting, podcasting careers that um, that we're only really able to do this due to the support we get on Patreon. So we love you all. Mm-hmm. I can see through the door that Winnie's awake. Oh, so hello, darling. I reckon we've got time for one revisit. Yep. Oh, it's, straight onto mum's shoulder. It's, it's going to be... It's a significant one, though. Oh, okay. It's Rob O'Neill. Oh, you, dun, dun, dun. I didn't know we were doing this. I thought we were wrapping up the show. No, no, we're doing, okay, we're, okay. Big Rob, blimey, this is a significant moment. We just been sitting on our in our intro, your intro. Yeah, what three months? Uh, <laughs> hopefully not that long, but maybe maybe like. Five weeks or something. I've Long kept... enough that I've been moving it from show yeah. to show in the notes and, I... and hoping that at some point you'd be able to gather all of the different clues that have been yep. pasted into Discord uh, and, and, and assemble it. Can, can we just go back and say that the first time around, yeah. you answered it and thought it might be the best figures for Dr. Shelley Nitschke? That's right. So the number was $7.24 and I found that uh, the doc, Shelley, had taken 7 for 24 in a one-dayer for Australia. That was the best bowling figures for Australia until Elise Perry beat it in 2019. Canterbury. And Canterbury. so Rob sent through an initial clue to, to get you going in the right because direction. Because at one, at initially he couldn't remember what his own number was. because um, But the out of Forsyth he, option. <laughs> yeah, he put it through a while ago and, and had, had forgotten. Right. Okay, so here is the clue. I've remembered, exclaims Rob. It would help to know my occupation and month of birth. My hero and I were born in the same month and a misapplication of this metric nearly spoiled our 21sts. A few years later, something happened to another of the greatest, although that time the player in question considers that the adjudication was correct, but his many, many fans begged to disagree. Okay. It's very Rob O'Neill energy. Yeah, it is. If you're, a, if you're a relatively new listener to the podcast and to story time, yep. don't feel the need to do stuff like this. Rob gets a big old leave pass yep. because he's done it before. He's got history with Jeff. They've got a thing going on. We have a relationship. If you're, if you're a new pledger, 
you don't need to send a clue because then we can do what we can tell yeah. an interesting story and and get you on the rebound on the revisit later. But or Rob, you, you, know, or he, you he, don't need to send one that will take me seven weeks to solve. Which, yes, which yes. is what you happened. Can keep with, it straight. Doesn't need to be eccentric. Which is what happened with Rob's first number. So, <laughs> so hence um, he is the Jean Valjean to my Inspector Javert. That's exactly. part of the history. Of the final word, the history that we're making um, in the history show that we're making. So 7.24. Now, I knew that there was some chat about this on Discord and I knew that Matt May had been doing some work on this, who is an excellent sleuth on Nerd Pledge stuff. And so I actually avoided looking at the posts that he was putting up because I kind of didn't want to know. I, I, I wanted to try to take my own approach and then right. compare notes with him when I thought I had an idea of what was going on. And so I finally had some time this week to, to really sit down and, and, and chew this. All right. So what are, we, what are we picking out? Oh, there was, And what got me going was there was one further clue from Rob. He sent through a little note and he said, you mentioned something in the weekly show that you do a lot and thinking about that might help you solve the clue. And I could not remember what I'd said, so I had to listen to the weekly show. <laughs> And what I said was that I read the laws of cricket a lot. Ah, uh, right. Okay, so we're going back to the laws of cricket and Rob said a misapplication, so I'm looking at a misapplied law. The number is 724. Obviously, I looked at the law numbers. Seven is to do with the crease markings. Two is the umpires. Four is the ball. So probably not directly any of those things. But a decision that a player in question later agreed with and had many fans who disagreed with, and it's a law that may have been misapplied, Sachin Tendulkar getting hit in the shoulder and given out leg before wicket. Daryl Harper. Daryl Harper. That's what I thought. All right. So that's the first test in Adelaide. Pretty sure Daryl Harper's not allowed to go to India. In <laughs> In 1999, India gets set 396 to win in the fourth innings. Tendulkar's made 61 in the first. He's on naught in the second. Tries to duck a bouncer. The pitch is getting old. The bouncer just stays right down. Hits him in the shoulder. And it does hit him in line with the stumps. And Richie Benno the next day, because this is late day four, on day five, Richie's saying overnight he's reviewed all of the side-on photographs and he's like, the length of the ball, was it was coming down by the time it hit him, so it was definitely hitting the stumps. Right. So Richie says it's out. Good enough for me the next day. But you can understand the impression that it shouldn't have been out given that it hit him in the shoulder while he was ducking. And Happened know. to uh, Lydia Greenway in the Test match down at Canterbury well, in well, that 2015. Didn't hit her. It went over her back and hit the mid top of middle stuff. Oh, did it? I, yeah, thought, it, I thought it was like before as well. No. Either way, similar kind of dismissal. Yeah, yeah it went bounced over the top of her and, and did hit the stump. So that sort of shows what might have happened. So, yeah, you can understand why someone would think that it could have been not out. And then I was trying to put this other other bit together. So there's another player with a too high LBW, and who very famously got a too high LBW? Ricky Ponting. Ricky Ponting. Now what? Did wouldn't they hit a fucking second set? Wouldn't they? Hit? As they said around the country, as one that yeah. December evening of 1995. Now that is a shocking decision. It also hits him outside the line of off stump, angled across him from Chamindavas. Wouldn't they hit line. a fucking second set? He, he walks outside off, hits him outside off on the thigh pad, high on the thigh pad. <laughs> it's going way over. Uh, the umpire is Kizer Hayat from Pakistan, who fires him for that one on 96 on debut. All part of the Ricky Ponting story, and and the bit that makes me sure that this is right is a misapplication of this metric nearly spoiled our 21sts okay who was about to turn 21 ricky ponting was born december 19th 1974 made his test debut on december 8th 1995 his batting innings i'm figuring must have been on day three because it was on a sunday sri lanka batted through the first day yep australia batted for ages 
and it was the uh, was that the two nineteen for Slater? Yes, yes, Slater, Slater's double hundred. Yeah. There's a ninety odd for Mark Taylor, yeah. I think. Um, and so by the time he comes out, they're four hundred and something for three. So he, it must be on the third day because Sri Lanka bat for about ninety overs and it's done in four days. Right. Um, in the in the last innings, so they lose by an innings. So yeah, it's got to be December ten, which means it's eight days before his twenty first birthday. And if Rob is born in the same month, then it means it's almost Rob's 21st birthday as well. And so he's very invested in this player. He's upset. Ponting's upset. Nearly ruins both of their 21st birthdays, right? And I have met Rob once, and I, yeah, I think I'd place him in his 40s somewhere. So all of Oh, this, where did you meet? I don't, I don't think I... At the, uh, when we went to Rosie Piper's comedy show. Oh, cool. A few of the... Some listeners to the show all, all got together to go and see Rosie's show during the comedy festival. So, yeah, we have met face-to-face, as uh, Valjean and Javert say in the song The Confrontation. Uh, I'm sorry, no, that's in Stars. That's in Javert's solo. Beg your pardon. (laughs) He knows his way in the dark, but mine is the way of the law, the laws of cricket in this case. Right, so this all tallies. Rob said in one of his messages that as a Victorian he should have chosen a different hero, born the same month, with a better average but a briefer career because Ponting's Tasmanian. So who are the Australians with a better average than Ricky Ponting's 51.85? Not many. Greg Chappell, uh, kind of Stuart Law if you squint. If yeah, you well, the same day. If you decide that, yeah, um, that uh, you're going to apply an average to his only not out innings. Labashane Smith, Charles Bannerman, mm-hmm. Voges, Sid Barnes, Bradman, none of them are Victorian. The only Victorians, Jeff Moss, who played one test in the Packet era, mm-hmm. but was born in June, and Bradley Hodge, who was born in December 1974, same uh, month as Ponting. Really? And averages 55 and a bit from the six test matches that he played. So I'm confident I've got Ponting. I'm confident I've got Tendulkar. I think, all right, I know what's going on here. Where does it link to 724? And this is where I go into the Discord channel and I find that Matt May has also figured out Ponting, Tendulkar, and can't figure out 7.24. He's like, what does this mean? Don't. I, I don't understand it. I go through all the scorecards, nothing there. Look through the laws, nothing there. And Rob says if you know what his line of work is, and I think, I may be wrong, but I vaguely remember from when we chatted it was something to do with engineering. So I'm like, okay, is it to do with... Farouk? Is it like... <laughs> could be, I was thinking more like numbers. Is it to do with, with uh, an angle? Like the angle that the ball's taking when it's oh, hitting right. the stumps, is it say? Yeah, yeah, my line of work. But yeah, that makes sense. Okay, um, I look at the uh, some some academic papers on the coefficient of restitution, which <laughs> is the ratio of the speed that a ball attains when dropped, then set against the speed that it attains when it bounces. Okay, nothing in there. I'm looking, and I spend a long time thinking 7.24 degrees could be the angle that a ball is rising at. I'm like, how far would it need to pitch from the stumps in order to go over 7.24 meters away? That's, this was the kind of thing I was thinking about, right? And okay. I'm not a mathematician and I do not know how to do these things. And right. I spent far too long trying to figure out a way to calculate this because I didn't know how to do it because I don't remember anything from school because I was busy with other things down at the creek. <laughs> other things. <laughs> <laughs> down, at, down at the creek behind Eltham High School. So 
I'm looking at this. I'm trying to figure out. I'm, I'm finding usually cricket balls bounce between eight and twelve degrees. Seems to be something of a consensus. So I'm trying to work out how far does it need to pitch given the height of the stumps is 28 inches, which is 71.12 centimeters. And I'm trying to figure this out. And then I think, oh shit, I've forgotten to include the bales in the height of the stumps. How big are the bales? They're half an inch, oh. which is 1.27 centimeters. If you add 71.12 centimeters to 1.27 centimeters, that equals 72.3 nine centimetres. The height of the stumps is 72.4 centimetres and Rob O'Neill's number is 724. Add that together, the stumps, the height, that is what the delivery needed to be hitting so and that is what it was not hitting in the case of at least Ricky Ponting but probably Sachin Tendulkar because it may have been going over the top. Tremendously sorted out. I mean, Jeff, Rob... Everyone on Discord, Matt May, <laughs> we're all better for that. I would just add, I just, just, I mean, the only way this might fall down is that, I mean, there is a, there is a hundredth of a decimal point out there, isn't there? Yeah, I mean, but there he's is only still... got one number. He's got seven two four. No, I understand that, but we have this wisdom problem at the moment, don't we? <laughs> With rounding, you can I'm round sure... up. You can round up a millimeter. <laughs> no, I'm sure you're right. Has to look, be right. Look. Has to be right. Has to be in. Rob O'Neill. Rob, Rob has been dramatic with his pledges in the past and could have sent through seventy two dollars thirty nine, but I understand that he might have decided not to do that and go. I think with... he did that last time. Didn't he? He, did. he, he sent through two hundred forty six dollars and one cent for, for is... one month to yeah. you know yeah, which is two four six zero one, which is the prisoner number tattooed on the arm of Jean Valjean. Oh, that's right. That's that, right. That he uh, dramatically reveals in the courtroom. So I, I must admit, Jeff, despite kind of having a sense of the reference points, I've never actually seen Les Mis, and oh. that's the prize that I won at the Lord's Tab Sing a couple really? of months ago. We won, did I tell you this? We won the raffle. I'm, I think you're on holiday. Yeah. I, um, we, it was a heads and tails where very, very common at corporate gigs. Oh, yeah, yeah. The hand on your head or hand on your bum, and, yep. and you get eliminated. You know, if, you, if yep. it's a head, then everyone with their hands on their heads gets, gets eliminated or vice versa. And I went on a run. You'd remember this from being a roulette dealer. Mm. Nine times in a row I got it right, and, yeah. I, and there was a room of 300, and I was right. the last man standing. So and you've got tickets. And the prize you've got West is End tickets West End tickets to Les Mis and a hotel. So Great. Rach and I are going to go before she has the baby. Great. Yeah. You will. Yeah. Well, we can. Well, let's talk about we'll it more. Compare notes then. It's it's one of my great weaknesses. <laughs> is I've I've seen it in New York. I've seen it in London. I've seen it in Melbourne. This is great. You know the various film adaptations, of course. Um, so I feel. Valjean, that I've got you cornered this time. Okay, uh, Jeff, we have a pub to go to, so we better wrap this up. But I'll tell you what, it's been a lot of fun. Storytime 111, as you said before, patreon.com forward slash the final word. Send a number. And once you've sent a number, you should be able to work out how to get to Discord yourself. Mm-hmm. If you can't, don't be shy. Drop us a DM on Patreon. We'll immediately send you the backdoor key. Um, a lot of people have done that. If you're on Patreon and haven't yet found your way to Discord, that's also fine. DM us. We'll immediately uh, send you the, the link. That updates every week or so, so yep. um, it's easy for us to, to let you in without it changing too much behind the scenes. A lot of catch-ups taking place through the Australian summer. Yep. Um, impromptu, we saw a Zoom catch-up Zoom the other catch night up. with Tom Miles. Bless him, was doing a Zoom catch-up with a couple of patrons. I was walking through the MCG and ran into a listener of ours, Thomas Miles, who was on Zoom with half a dozen other <laughs> listeners having a chat at the cricket so I got it's to that kind of place hello. it's that kind of friendly we always describe it as the loveliest corner of the internet and we've seen nothing to push back against that uh, declaration as mm. yet uh, and as we said before it makes an enormous difference to letting mm. to letting to helping uh, Jeff and me do what we try and do and make all the podcasts that we make of which there will be many more in the weeks and months to come while we're in Australia World Cup dailies weekly shows Jeff's interview with Ryan Campbell if you've not heard it be sure to do that 
Um, that, that went into all sorts of uh, interesting places that we hoped it would. I'm glad that it did. And that's it. That's us. Uh, thank you to everybody who's listened and hopefully... Uh, we'll be able to make another one of these story times next week. Uh, that's certainly the plan. Hopefully we don't end up too overwhelmed with World Cup stuff. But for now, have nice weekends. Bye-bye. Bye. I had to go.